0: Howdy, y'all. You're listening to The Managing Up Show. I'm Travis Weisgood, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, Brandon Hayes and Nick Means.
1: Howdy. Hello.
0: So today we're going to be talking about managers and how technical a, uh, an engineering manager should be. Um, do y'all have some thoughts on that?
1: Uh, yeah, I
2: think how technical should a manager be is a very important question because it affects so much about how a team operates and what part of the load the manager can and should be expected to carry. I'm curious if we think that there's a universal answer to this question or if it varies by team.
0: So I would almost guess that that everyone thinks there is a universal answer to this um, and that everybody's universal answer is slightly different. Um, so I, from my experience, I've worked on teams where a manager is still expected to carry a, a 30 or 40%, sometimes 50% coding responsibility for for the team. So they're spending up to half their time uh, committing code. Um, I've worked with teams where as an engineering manager, if you spend more than 10% of your time in GitHub looking at pull requests, much less actually coding, um, that that's considered something that you're not using your time efficiently and should be uh using it, doing other things. So I've seen it. I, I've seen both ends of the spectrum um, and then a lot in between um, where the managers are there kind of as the the backup and the sounding board. So yeah, I've seen everything uh, from both extremes and everything in between. A lot of the teams that I've worked on, the engineering manager uh, ends up in some sort of technical capacity, even if it is just a sounding board.
1: I'm imagining a, like a slider uh, range input, you drag this slider from the left side where you have one report or zero reports and you spend all of your time working in technology to the theoretical maximum of how many reports should be which could potentially just be its entire own episode <laughs> uh, but let's say let's say north of 10 12 16 20 reports you know some something in the you know high to extreme range
0: the one that gives you the the warning that says are you sure <laughs>
1: i'm i definitely i definitely have been in that situation in the are you sure territory and uh, I would say you know that that at some point your the time spent in coding plunges to zero. So the question is as that time spent coding uh, for for a role drops to zero, my question would be is there a baseline level of you know what's the baseline level of technical expertise or experience that a person on a team would would expect out of their manager? I've heard people say everything from I kind of like it when my managers aren't technical because then I can do whatever I want to people saying if if my manager can't do my job as well or better than me, then I couldn't possibly respect them as somebody who is helping me actually accomplish my work.
2: I can't remember if it was Project Aristotle or another one of the research things that Google has done that one of the takeaways was people are happier when they have a sense that their manager could do their job. So that that technical piece is, in that respect, important for
0: happiness.
1: Like, why do you think that is?
0: Well, have you ever worked for a manager that that is the 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 uh, pointy haired boss from Dilbert version where you're like, "You, you like don't know what I'm talking about when I talk to you? I think that's where that's kind of that, that's the, the farcical extreme version of it. Um, but I think that that it, when I look at that research, that's what I take away from it, uh, is that, that people want to feel that their boss, uh, can understand them, understand what they're doing, um, and have a conversation about it. And I think when I hear somebody saying they want, a, a manager that can be technical, that's what I think of. Not necessarily somebody who's going to, to make it onto the contributor graph on GitHub, um, but somebody who, like, could.
1: I think that's a an important distinction. And the reason I call it out is I had an experience like this when I was interviewing as a manager somewhere. And they actually cited that report or that project. We've studied the research that says people are happier when they feel like their boss could do their job. Therefore, we're going to put you through the same interview that we put our people through. And you've got to clear that, plus the manager interview. And then I asked what the role was actually about. And for 0% of the time was spent doing any coding. 0%. And so I thought, well, being able to do that job, like I wanted to dig into that a little bit. Why is that actually important? And my theory is exactly what you said. It's about empathizing with the person, knowing how difficult their job is, knowing the some of the complexities that their job contains, and being able to basically have a baseline respect f- for them and for what they do. I think what people, in order for people to respect the person sort of directing their work and holding them accountable. I don't think they need to know that that person could jump in and do their job as a practical matter. They just want to know that that person understands and respects their their work and understands how to protect it. I spend very little time guiding people on architectural decisions, but I do sense that people are are glad to have have somebody that knows they need some time to spend on the architecture and design of a system before they go in and implement it. That's my current working theory. I don't know, but I'd, op- I'd open that up a little bit to know other things that a person might want. When, you know, what, what other stuff might a person want when they want their manager to be a little more technical?
2: I mean, I think Travis hits on something important in that a manager needs to be technical enough to participate in conversations. I mean, we're never going to be the technical experts on our teams. We're just not and we shouldn't be. But we need to be technical. I, I think managers need to be technical enough to facilitate those conversations and to draw those answers out and to understand when the team has gotten deep enough technically to make a decision versus just trying to get a decision done and move on, which every team is tempted to from
0: time to time.
1: Have you ever had a manager that was too technical?
0: I had a CEO once who was too technical years and years and years ago. Um, I had joined an early stage startup. I think I was like maybe the seventh or eighth employee. Um, and the CEO had participated in like one of those fabled sitting at the hotel before the pitch to the customer, kind of let's get the prototype out so he can do this demo uh, hackathons, and had was responsible for a fair amount of the code that was there, and was certain that that gave him the ability to critique estimates um, and like understand the plan of what was happening, even though like when I joined we were we were a year out from that demo um, and still cleaning up the mess of the stuff that had been put in production as that was a prototype. Um, so I've definitely seen it where that was too technical in a bad way, too technical, but not technical enough, I guess. <laughs> I think that's one of the dangers you have when you have somebody uh, who's hasn't actually been responsible as a, a contributing member of a development team, but has done some development. They think they're t- more technical than they actually are. So that's one of the hazards you can run into. If they're hiring for a technical manager and they don't have a uh, the right guards in place, you could accidentally let somebody through that sure it looks like they're a good Uh, A good technical fit, but actually a detriment to the team they're, they're working with.
1: I think I've been that person before in the past, actually, when I think about it. I think a warning sign is as a manager, are you making or modifying time commitments for your team? I use the word implementer a lot lately. I'm sure I stole it from somewhere. I didn't, I'm didn't. i certain I didn't make it up. This is probably from some DevOps handbook thing or something. Um, but the idea of having an implementer involved in key parts of the process, like uh, breaking down stories and estimating things, is really important. And it's very tempting as a technical manager to jump in and say, well... I could do this in a day. I could do this in a couple of days. Let's estimate it X, Y, Z, and then we'll come back to it later, um, making the assumption that uh, I, I know approximately how how big software should be. I think it's okay to use that as a gut check and as a probing um, device to go in and talk to your team and say, "Hey, what is it about this that's more complex that caused y'all to estimate this as a something that's going to take multiple sprints when I felt like it was something that could take a couple of days? What you know? What where's the mismatch?" But as soon as you're actively making commitments on behalf of your team, which I have done in the past, and I'm very sorry if you're listening, <laughs> uh, I think there are like demarcation points where you can say you've gone too far. I think
2: one of the other struggles to being a technical manager is sometimes when there is uncertainty, you are tempted to dive in technically because it's comfortable, because it's it's a place where you feel competent versus some of the mishmash of uncertainty that surrounds doing management work sometimes.
1: It's a Unix system. I know this.
0: <laughs> that's the second time I've heard that today.
2: <laughs> I mean, I know as I've been coming up to speed at GitHub, that's definitely been a temptation that I've had to fight actively because there's so much going on, so much to come up to speed on that the easier thing to do would be to sort of go into my cocoon and try to get everything running locally and start poking at things. But that's probably not the most productive use of my time right now.
1: Yeah, there's a fair question there. Like my first week at, at the current job I'm in, The hazing rituals, they throw a bug at you and you go fix it. And that means you have to stand up the entire environment and do all the stuff. And getting the test running took four hours and fixing the bug took nine minutes. That experience taught me a lot about the challenges the team faces because in my mind, I know this is a nine minute bug. And what I didn't realize is that there was a half day or full day yak shave associated with fixing a nine minute bug. And that's important context to pull in and having the ex, like having the technical experience to be able to go in and and see and feel that firsthand i think is the thing that people are trying to hit on when they say i want my manager to be technical so that when i go to them and say this took me half a day they don't go you're you're you know you're sandbagging or something like that
0: yeah i think the technicality of a manager is one of those things that kind of shifts the further up that that chain you go so as you start out as a team lead, um, and you're the person that everyone's looking to on the team uh, for technical direction, like you're still in the trenches and still doing day to day development. Um, and for me, it starts to shift. It gets like closer to that fifty percent, and you know, we could him and over which side of fifty percent like an engineering manager is going to be. Um, I've seen both. I've seen both work. I've seen both fail uh, with more or less. But then as you move on beyond engineering manager and then start managing managers and things like that, it get, you start getting pulled more and more um, out of it. I know that's been a challenge for me um, and was a challenge as I uh, as I started moving into leadership was pulling back from that uh, coding and, and feeling OK about it. Because to Nick's point, code is completely logical. It may not do what we wanted to do, but that's because we haven't figured something out yet when it comes to managing teams people aren't logical in, in the same uh, in the same machine way that, that computer code is. There's a lot more nuance that goes into debugging a social problem in the way a team is structured or the interaction between team members than grabbing one of the bugs off the backlog and helping them add some velocity to their, their sprint.
1: So coming back to that point you made earlier about splitting time, I think the expectation shifts a lot from team to team on the idea of splitting time between management and... Uh, direct hands-on coding. There is this uh, a player coach idea. Uh, certainly, that was my expectation in my last role at the last place I was in, that uh, I would be doing player coach work. And I showed up, and there was just such a ridiculous backlog of management work that that's really all I did for about a year, a year and a half, uh, before I was able to really get into the code at all. You said there was like mixed success with that, and I'm wondering if if there's a demarcation point between a team lead who has hands in code and a manager who does not. Or is there room for a manager who does have their hands on code? Nick, I feel like you kind of did a fair amount of this um, in in some of your previous roles. And I'm curious to know how that worked and whether you feel like it's a good idea.
2: Um, Yeah, my my opinions on this have certainly shifted over time. I, I think one of the things that we've already called out is that a manager needs to have their hands on code enough to at least have empathy for what it takes to ship code in a particular organization to understand those processes to know where the pain points are, to have empathy for their team. Um, For me, the amount of code I've been able to write scaled pretty inversely linear to the number of people that I had reporting into me. The more people I had reporting, the less time I had to write any code.
1: Yeah, I find myself kind of desperately wanting to sit and talk about some of the technical aspects of people's work, but I currently have a very large number of direct reports, and that that means that i have to use my time very carefully uh that it's almost always spent debugging uh personal issues and keeping people uh you know pointed in the right direction and answering non-technical questions and there are a couple people on the team that are very excited to show me some of the very exciting stuff that they're doing and they want to talk through the design and i love that stuff and i actually i it's part of the reason that I think maybe my, the answer is I have too many direct reports because I feel like there is some portion of my time I should be able to reserve for those kinds of conversations. Certainly, when the team is asking for it, if it, you know, if the team is specifically saying, "Hey, I want you to participate in this way with me," and I'm making myself unavailable, that feels crappy. I don't, but I don't know the right and wrong of those situations. I'm still sort of feeling that out.
0: I think you kind of hit on it right there, though. Uh, it's what the team needs. Um, I've seen teams that need somebody to help be the guardian of the team and working with everyone, uh, outside the team. So whether that's PMs or designers or some sort of business partner, um, where, but that's the thing that they need from their manager. And I've seen teams that need a manager that's in the trenches with them slinging code. Uh, So it's really a matter of, uh, figuring out what the team needs. And to that point, I don't think there is a universal answer to say, oh, this is exactly what what should happen. There are things that have worked and haven't worked um, and uh, will work again and will fail even though they worked the last time if you try to, to uh, use them again. Kent Beck talks about this in his intro to Extreme Programming or XP. And he says that here's a bunch of things that I've, I've used in the past. I've used all of them some um, and I've had all of them work and all of them fail. It's just depending on the project and the team that I'm working with. All right. So one thing
2: I'm I'm curious to talk about, I, I've always operated by the pizza size team rule where there's sort of an upper bound of the number of people that you can productively manage. And that number is somewhere around the number of people you can feed with two pizzas. So say seven plus or minus two, depending on how hungry they are on a given day.
1: So I've I've never heard that as the the sort of conventional wisdom. I've heard the two pizza rule used as a way to like limit the number of Uh, communication connections required within a team, because as you know, that grows exponentially. Like my feeling about the pizza rule is that it was designed to try to limit the sort of cross communication challenges that grow exponentially as a team scales. That said, I think about eight people is my experience of where things started breaking down uh, in terms of where I started noticing a decline in my ability to serve.
2: I mean, now, now that you bring that up, yeah, that is the origin of where I heard the pizza size team rule. I think at some point without realizing it, I just adopted it as a, a personal upper bound for myself, just knowing when I feel like I'm starting to get stretched too thin.
1: Yeah, I can tell when I have to pull the pillow out of my desk drawer and cry into it, that I've probably gone a few reports too far into my level of commitment.
0: So what you really need there is the no pillow rule.
1: <laughs> the no pillow rule. As soon as you pull the pillow out and cry into it, you know that you you should roll it back a little bit.
2: So so here's, here's the thing I don't know about this. I am definitely an introvert. Uh, I can be ambiverted. I can turn on extrovert qualities, but I'm very much an introvert. And I, I think the thing that bounds the number of reports that I can productively have is my interpersonal energy. I just run out of energy after about eight one-on-ones a week. I just don't have much more to give. I'm curious if it would be different for somebody who's extroverted.
1: I mean, is there an extroverted person who got into engineering and then got into management later? I, I, am not, I am not sure I've met that person. Are you, uh, Travis, I, you got to tell me. I, no,
0: I am. Um, I, I have noticed this uh, with myself at meetups, at conferences. Um, I can be the guy that's about to fall asleep and get into an interesting conversation at, around the bar and like, all of a sudden, go and am charged up for another three or four hours. Um, so I totally pull energy from uh, social interaction. That said, uh, there's a difference between like general uh, light social interaction or small talk and things like that. Even if it is a technical conversation and diving into what could, can be a really personal conversation in a one-on-one, those take have a totally different cost on energy expended. Uh, so. Uh, I'm with Nick on somewhere around eight is the number of, of one-on-ones that I can do a week. I've tried doing the batching them where you just do them all, line them all up and do them one day. I can't like, I get to the end of it and I feel bad for whoever got the last, <laughs> the last one-on-one because I feel like I'm, I know this isn't a, a matter of feeling. I know at least from my perspective perspective that this is not as good of a one-on-one as right. I can They're do. They're
1: getting the cheeseburger that's been sitting under the, the heat lamp for the last two hours.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So for me, I I think that's the other thing is like how much – Interaction? Do you need to have with your team? And I think that's where the two pizza rule comes into play. Two pizza as a a team that needs to interact with each other. And as you move out of a team lead or engineering manager role into a senior engineering manager or a director role, um, or even beyond, the people that are reporting to you that you have a direct relationship with in the company uh, and the org structure, they're going to be more self sufficient. And require less energy than being somebody that's intimately involved in the deliverables of a team.
1: So tying into that and then sort of the theme of the episode, something uh, occurred to me as you were talking about having these technical conversations and technical small talk with people. I didn't expect to because I came into technology late in my career. But I, der- I draw and derive a fair amount of energy from having fun and interesting technical conversations with people. And so when people do bring me these technical problems, not necessarily to have me unwind them for them, but just to have somebody to, to bat something back and forth, even though my role is not as their tech lead... I actually find that a nice diversion and distraction and and draw energy from it during the day. Whereas if you were just doing one-on-ones and sorting through people's challenges and trying to help them and thinking deeply on their behalf about non-technical issues all day, that's exhausting. And so I wouldn't want to be in a situation, and um, I sometimes do find myself in that situation where I have too many reports to be able to do that with people, where they might want me to have a technical conversation and I'm not really available to do that. And I'm kind of always drawing my power down during the day because I'm having the harder conversations. uh, And some of the the technical ones are really fun. You know, finding these technical things out and talking through the debugging strategy with people, that kind of stuff is fun and interesting and helps me get some of the energy back I need to go tackle some of the more, the stickier people problems, I think.
2: Yeah, I think there's a fine line. We've talked about, you know, one-on-ones and avoiding status and one-on-ones and how good an idea that is. I think there's a a line between status conversation in one-on-ones and interesting technical discussions in one-on-ones. I've been having, as I've been coming up to speed, I've been having a lot of the latter, and it's been a lot of fun, exactly like what you're talking about.
1: So we've all been through the act of trying to hire engineering managers and trying to decide how technical this person should be, and maybe even finding ourselves surprised at how technical or how not technical they needed to be in order to be successful in their role. And I'm curious to know what experiences y'all have with the, the interviewing and hiring aspect of measuring technical capability of managers.
0: Yeah. So there's a, a fine line to, to walk when you're trying to measure it, because it's not like you're hiring a senior engineer on the team uh, or a staff staff engineer. Um, so you don't want to go through something that rigorous, but you'd also don't want to just have somebody that can talk a good game, uh, but not actually get beyond that, uh, that very superficial level of, of technical, uh, ability. Um, I think this becomes uh, much more of an issue as you start to move out of the engineering manager role and into the roles that are generally a little bit further up the ladder. Um, so a, a director, I, I found is a really hard one to, to interview for. Um, I had a director role uh, open uh, that reported into me earlier this summer, and I was getting everything from, from what I call the, the aspirational director, so somebody that, that maybe has been a team lead and would love to take that step up, but it's, a, it's not necessarily a step up, but like skipping a couple of steps, um, all the way to somebody who hasn't had a responsibility to deliver code in a decade or more. Um, so the person who's got multiple VPs, uh, on their resume, um, and maybe been a founder at a company at this, by this point in their career, um, if startups are their thing, uh, it's really hard to kind of dial in like exactly where that technical ability should be. Because when you start talking to the person who's a really strong team lead, maybe they've taken on a manager role, um, and done it for a year, um, or six months, uh, they may be really solid technically. Uh, and especially with having a team interview them, if they're used to interviewing, uh, um, developers they get a hold of somebody like this and like okay this is exactly what I, I want and this person seems to be able to to manage as well so great this is perfect but if that's not what you're looking for or necessarily what you need and you need somebody that's working at a, a higher level than the code at this point um the it's they're gonna fail as soon as they hit that that interview with the developers on the team. And this has always been a challenge for me, uh, when you're bringing somebody in at one of those roles is like, what is the role of the, the, the developers who are involved in the interview process at that point, especially when you're talking about somebody that's going to be, uh, managing them potentially, is it that they're there to help with approval, uh, and give the thumbs up or thumbs down for somebody, or are they there to make sure that there's a decent interaction between the two?
1: So I I want to pose something for thought. In the history of management, so much of what traditional management has been about for the last 100 years has been in maintaining status quo. So much of what is traditionally thought about management, you talk about approvals and upholding existing processes. And part of the reason that engineering management is fun and exciting and different uh, but also kind of in very early baby stages where we're having these conversations about fundamental principles. And nobody really has really strong answers about this because the entire industry is figuring this out. And it's because it's not about maintaining the status quo. The, the role of engineering management is largely about facilitating transformation. I, I think that's part of what makes this interesting. And it's part of what makes interviewing for these roles really difficult. When I'm interviewing... Uh, I'm looking for somebody who can help facilitate some of this transition. Again, totally a theory that I'm <laughs> working through right now, but certainly affects my hiring decisions.
0: I think that's a very eloquent, eloquent way of describing the, I need a manager to be technical, Um You mentioned DevOps earlier, and as as more and more was moving to the cloud, that was always a challenge to have somebody that could lead a team and then understand what was involved in moving all of your infrastructure to AWS um, and what that would look like. And it wasn't necessarily that you needed somebody that could do all of that, but somebody that understood what was involved in doing that um, and at a high level could really dig into it more than just understanding the business reasons for doing it, uh, but start to dig into the technical reasons. Now they may not know all the ins and outs of everything. I've, I have done a lot with AWS. I've, I've worked at small teams where I'm the one responsible for maintaining that infrastructure. And to this day, I still can't fully explain Amazon's uh, AIM. I just, it's, it's beyond me and I've worked. I don't think
1: anybody at Amazon (laughs) can do that either. So I hate, I've worked
0: with some DevOps engineers who like understand it. Like it's ingrained in their DNA somehow. Um, So there are people out there that can, can do that. Um, But I think it takes a technical manager to be able to understand the difference between somebody that's, that's spun up an EC2 instance and run a shell script to uh, install a server and somebody that is maintaining a cloud infrastructure on AWS.
2: I think that's one of the things that makes engineering managers so hard to hire is that if one of the things Peter Drucker says in the Effective Executive is that, or he points out that we have not as humans been organized into enterprises for very long. It's a new pattern for us as a species. So we've got this topic of management that's still a relatively new thing for us to do. And then we're piling technical change management and driving change on top of it. And it means you're really looking for a very specialized human being that can come in and do all of these things. And it's a very difficult proposition.
0: Having just hired two people into, the, into roles like that, um, I can attest it is a very hard thing to do. And when you find the right person, it's like, okay, how quickly can we get this done? How quickly can I get you on board?
1: <laughs> yeah. Watching a, uh, a person that I'm excited to hire and I see all their management capability, And then watching them go up in flames when they're interviewing with the team because they're not technical enough is just devastating.
2: How much of that that comes back to level setting with the team and figuring out what the team is expecting going into the interview process?
1: That's a great question. I can tell you what I have done in the past, and I will fish for feedback to do it better. Because what I have done in the past is I've uh, had a pre-meeting where we talk and gather everybody's expectations. And that is the topic of the moment, how technical are you expecting this person to be in your interview in order for you to feel like they've cleared whatever bar you have? And what kinds of things are you going to do to explore that? And the answers I was getting back were all over the place. Everything from, I don't care if they're technical at all, to it's really important to me. The actually maximum was, it's really important to me that they can at least understand what I'm talking about, that they've got the experience to understand what I'm talking about. And the person that we missed out on because they were technical, I knew I was taking a risk. And this is kind of a piece of advice that I will leave people with. The person that we lost because of this, I knew was risky because they bailed on their engineering track a year or so in because they felt the call to management. This is such a tempting thing. I almost fell into this trap myself as a new engineer. People kept trying to get me to come manage teams because they sensed that I liked people. I could communicate well with stakeholders. And I didn't mind filling vacuums of responsibility and there was a vacuum. And so I kind of got pushed into this management role about six years too early, five or six years too early. And, you know, it could have cost me some stuff that I, I'm glad I realigned and went back into the engineering track for. Uh, so in terms of like how how do you ask a team how technical this person should be, I'm okay saying I would expect a person to have reached at least very high mid to senior level before feeling comfortable saying they're technical enough. And I think that carries, if they're good at at the engineering aspect of it, or they got good at it and got to senior level in one area, I think that translates nicely to a lot of different areas. I'm less concerned about whether you got to senior in C Sharp or Java and you're in a Ruby shop. Uh, I care less about that and more about this person has probably been exposed to a wide array of engineering problems and uh, deadlines and have, has learned the skills of making technical trade-offs to achieve a business objective.
2: I think I buy that. I, I like that thinking a lot. I'm curious though, if there's a shelf life, so how, how long can you be out of a senior engineer role and still be technical enough for a given technical leadership position?
0: Uh, I really think that at a certain point, uh, and a, at a certain size company, uh, that doesn't matter. Um, at, at scale, uh, if you have a VP of engineering who hasn't committed code in a decade, um, but they know how to communicate with the, the engineering leadership that they have underneath them, uh, and they have that technical ability, uh, that's fine. Um, at, and once you hit that level, uh, your responsibility is less to the engineering team and more to the leadership team, and you need to be able to communicate at that level. Uh, so if you're going into a... Uh, a leadership meeting, uh, and going to be talking about the latest pull request you've, you've got, eh, not necessarily the right place for that conversation. Uh, so not having had that is not necessarily going to be a problem. Uh, the, a, a trend that I've noticed in, uh, engineering leaders, uh, that remove themselves from code by virtue of moving further and further up the chain, or just by virtue of what the, their job, uh, demands of them at that time, uh, the ones that would that would generally pass early on in that technical uh, engineering manager role are the ones that are going to find random little things on the side uh, to work on. Um, I know I've been in that role where shipping code was not a part of my job responsibility, but I sure had some awesome stuff in our Hubot uh, because I wanted to to make sure I was staying sharp on something. Uh, So any place here or there that I could make something that would uh, make the process move more smoothly, uh, I would totally grab that and run with it. Um, I kicked off a, uh, a, a linting config once uh, on a uh, large team that had a lot of different projects and different teams were kind of organically coming up with their own uh, standards uh, for how code should look. And I was like, you know, we could actually unify this. And it was one of those things there was like, oh yeah, we should totally do that. Hang on, I got to get back to this stuff in the sprint. So it never happened. So I carved out a little bit of my time to, to do that. And that gave me that, that outlet, even though uh, at that particular job, like coding was 0% of my responsibility. That may be me actually trying to project onto other people my particular way of operating, too. But I've seen other uh, engineering leaders who've done similar.
2: I think you're right that the shelf life matters less as you move up in scope. The, the broader an audience you have to, to cover, the less technical you have to be.
1: And the easier it is to catch up on newer technologies as they come up, where you start, you know, you know enough about patterns that when you see a new, you know, hey, go, I recognize go from it prior incarnations in other, you know, programming languages. I know, Nick, you've got to run. You've got an exciting, uh, an exciting event to attend. Today is a big day for you. You You're now officially a Microsoft employee, I guess, instead of a GitHub employee. Congratulations. Thank you. Woo! Do you get
0: your at Microsoft.com email today?
2: I don't. Actually, I'm still a GitHub employee, and that's the way it's going to stay for a while.
1: Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, and I want to thank everybody else for listening and joining us today. We hope you had fun. We hope you learned a little bit. I'm Brandon Hayes. You can find me at Viking on Twitter. That's T-E-H Viking. Pretty much everywhere all the finest Vikings are sold.
2: I'm Nick Means. You can find me at N Means on Twitter.
0: And I am Travis Swicegood, and you can find me at T Swicegood. Don't try to complicate the spelling. It's exactly like it sounds.
1: For everybody listening, if you like the show, the best way to help is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. And if you have any questions about management you'd like us to answer, you can actually tweet us at our brand new shiny Twitter account at ManagingUpShow. So thanks again, everybody, for joining us. Have a great week, and we will see you again soon. Maybe you know what we'll do? We'll coin our own rule. It'll be the 16 taco rule. How many people can you feed with 16 tacos? And that's how many people you can manage. And that's the Austin brand.
0: Okay. But where are the tacos from?
1: Uh, They're the little ones. It's like Jess Specials from Taco Deli.